What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott, and welcome to The Exchange, everybody. That's right, we have a big sell-off on Wall Street as investors grapple with rising coronavirus cases around the globe and a stimulus stalemate. The Dow is now on pace for its worst day in almost two months. We're down 821 right now. That's right near session lows. The U.S. reporting a record surge in new COVID cases with more than 83,000 infections both Friday and Saturday. Cases have grown by 5% or more in the past week in 37 states now. New lockdowns in Europe also have markets on edge. Investors hope all this might add urgency to the stimulus talks in Washington. This with just eight days left until the presidential election. Bob Bassani is here with the latest market moves. Bob. And we have a surge in COVID cases, no stimulus, and the possibility that fourth quarter earnings are imperiled. That's the essence of the SAP warning this morning here. Let's take a look at sectors, predictably cyclical sectors, energy. We saw oil down about 3% at one point, banks, industrials all week, tech as well, more defensive sectors like utilities, for example, and consumer staples down, but not as much. Software has been under pressure all day. You heard about SAP essentially cutting its revenue forecast for the full year. They're expecting a fresh wave of lockdowns over in Europe to hurt demand for the first half of 2021. Is this company specific or not? The market is acting like this is a general threat to fourth quarter earnings in general, even though parts of it may be company specific. You can see all these software stocks that are down, travel and leisure. Of course, the reopening story is going rather poorly today. You can see these declines in the usual names, including REIT stocks, real estate investment trucks like SL Green. Uh, Elsewhere, energy's been weak all throughout the day. No surprise there. That's been a general poor performer anytime you see any threat to the reopening story. Banks had a great time last week as yields rose. It's not the case today. All the big banks are moving to the downside. Just want to note the fact that we topped out on the S&P 500 the day before earnings season started. That was October 12th, the day before J.P. Morgan reported 35.49. And look, it's been generally down since then, 34.08. We passed Uh, We broke through the 50-day moving average just this morning. So bottom line here, folks, is this is definitely a bad day, but we have been trending lower ever since earnings season started. Guys, back to you. That's a great point. And, of course, a big day looms Thursday with a bunch of big tech earnings as well. Bob, we appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Bob Bassani on the markets. But let's turn now to the surge in COVID cases to this record high. Local hospital systems are being stressed and forcing new curfews and other restrictions in some parts of the country. Meg Terrell joins us with the very latest. Meg? Hey, Kelly. Well, we've been hearing that the fall could potentially be very bad, but it is jarring to see that really upon us now. If you look at the metrics across cases, hospitalizations and deaths in the United States, 
all now rising with cases hitting a new seven-day average record, uh, approaching 70,000 on the seven-day average. This is COVID tracking project data. Hospitalizations also on the rise. Uh, now, you know, 40,000 plus people hospitalized in the U.S. And deaths after remaining steady for some time now are starting to tick up as well. Uh, so hospitalizations and deaths, obviously, the one the metrics that are very concerning. And you can see in the United States, uh, the number of people hospitalized rising uh, in many states, 16 states seeing a 15 percent increase in the seven day average week over week. And it's really across the Midwest, um, as well as in states like Texas, uh, New Mexico, um, those areas really being hit hard. And this is concerning, Kelly, because they can create more beds, but they can't get more doctors and nurses and people with the specialization needed um, to take care of these patients. And that's when you run into real trouble. Uh, the Salt Lake Tribune, for example, a headline from yesterday that's capturing a lot of attention saying Utah's hospitals are preparing to ration care as a record number of coronavirus patients flood their ICUs. So we are in a very concerning period, Kelly. Oh, yeah. Even here where we saw the surge early on, uh, we're starting to now get back up towards, you know, numbers that uh, are kind of full capacity, uh, even in this part of the country. So my question as well is about not just Salt Lake City, anywhere where the hospital system might be under stress. Is that prompting authorities to react with shutdowns, curfews and the like? Because, you know, again, go back to March. Obviously, the big concern was not just stopping the spread of COVID for its own sake, but making sure that we could flatten the curve. Remember, flatten the curve. It was all about, you know, trying to keep people from all winding up in the hospital at once. Uh, what are you seeing this time around? The big difference from March to now is that it's a regional response rather than a national one. Remember, the White House was talking about 15 days to slow the spread, and then they extended that. That was the entire country really being asked to do something altogether. And it seems like lessons have been learned, really, that at that time, you were asking people to do something really extreme like that in areas that maybe didn't need it. And then we're seeing those areas now being so hard hit, saying, wait a minute, we've already done all this work. Now we're getting hit. It's like a marathon. And they weren't prepared for that, having tried to do this back in March. And so what you are seeing is regionally, you know, some restrictions being put into place, hospitals uh, stopping elective procedures, um, trying to cut back on uh, some activities in areas, um, but it's really more of a regional focus rather than a national one right now. Yeah, for now. Meg, appreciate it. Meg Terrell with the latest on the COVID front for us. Investors are keeping a close eye on Washington for any sign of movement in the stimulus talks as a result of all of this. Here's what NEC Director Larry Kudlow said about that earlier today. The talks have certainly slowed down, but they're not ending. We are close, but there's still important policy issues that separate us. Elon Moy has more on where we stand. Elon, you know, we've had kind of one set of expectations going into the weekend that were pretty muted, uh, but that was before we got the case numbers that we've gotten. Uh, what's the latest? Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Treasury Secretary are going to be back on the phone again in just about an hour after a four-day hiatus. Now, their staffs have been in close contact over the weekend, reviewing updated language around another coronavirus relief deal. Her office had said they would not talk on the phone again unless there was progress being made. So we'll wait and see what the readout of that conversation actually looks like. 
But in the meantime, Democrats have been slamming Republicans for, as they say, rushing to confirm Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court rather than working together on another COVID relief package. And they've even called on Vice President Mike Pence to stay away from the chamber and not preside over the final vote tonight after several members of his staff tested positive for COVID-19. In a letter, they said... Uh, President Trump, if we believe that if you and President Trump finally began to take this crisis seriously, instead of taking actions that could further increase the spread, we would all be safer and better off. Kelly, the Senate is expected to adjourn after that vote this evening. They won't be back until after the election. So even if there is a deal, there wouldn't be anyone in Washington around to vote on it. Back over to you. So once again, it seems as though you know there, there's no chance of this happening before the election. All the focus, I guess, becomes on afterwards. Uh, Elon, what are you hearing in terms of how that uh, calculus might change if this is a drawn out period before we know for sure the outcome of that election? Yeah, so there are short term and potentially medium term implications. You know, the next deadline that we're looking at is December 11th, which is when the government runs out of money. Um, Beyond that, we're looking at the end of the year as another deadline point when folks start to run out of extended unemployment benefits. So that's another time when Congress could act. But I would also point out that even if we do see a blue wave, it is unlikely that Democrats will get 60 votes in the Senate to be able to clear um, any procedural hurdles. So there would still have to be some level of negotiation between the two parties to get anything done unless they use some procedural tricks that could be highly controversial, Kelly. True. All right, Elon, for now, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. As we watch the down year session lows right now, for weeks the markets have largely shrugged off the increase in U.S. COVID cases. But today, not so much. Dow's down 838 points, biggest sell off in almost two months. Here to discuss what's different this time, let's welcome in CNBC senior market commentator Mike Santoli. Mike, what, what accounts for the change in tone? Well, I think, that, first of all, the velocity of the increase in cases as well as hospitalizations and also the global nature of it, uh, this idea that essentially fourth quarter GDP growth in the U.S., which was already, uh, you know, considered to be, you know, very much a slowdown from the pace of recovering the third quarter might be in jeopardy. I also think that it just caught investors a little bit wrong footed because for weeks what's been going on right now is people assuming there was either going to be fiscal stimulus sooner or later. And just even without that, the pace of economic data beating forecast was looking pretty good and bond yields were surging. Uh, we had a steeper yield curve. All the things that make you think that a cyclical acceleration was either underway or about to start, I think was getting priced into the market. And so that's why I think it was a little jarring to see not just the caseload, but also, you know, that SAP warning, which removes the software sector as a candidate to kind of rescue the rest of the market. So you had uh, a little bit of the, um, the, the reopening type trades that were unwound uh, a little bit today, as well as not having as much help from, uh, from tech. It reminds me a little bit of what happened in early June. Big surge in Treasury yields, value stocks outperforming. People thought we were going to have a lot of enthusiasm about a quick reopening. And then it got right ahead of the Sunbelt uh, COVID surge. And, uh, and that was not exactly, you know, the Waterloo for the markets. It was like a 7% pullback. And then we uh, resumed with the, uh, the NASDAQ rally after that. And it, to me, it would seem like a kind of what points us in one direction or the, another in terms of magnitude is going to be if there are more widespread shutdowns, yeah. uh, even on a regional basis. 
But so, Mike, it's interesting. I was writing about this this morning and one of the traders who I, know I really respect, uh, I was writing about the link between the markets and COVID. And he said, listen, this sell off today isn't about COVID. You know, people see that the mortality rate is much lower. He said it's about the election. And it's about the fact that after the last debate, Trump looks like he might be in a tighter race with Biden. And maybe we're not going to know the outcome for weeks of, of what happens. I think there's six big states, including Pennsylvania and Michigan, that they don't start counting the ballots until election night, until the polls are closed. Right. So if this is a tight race, Mike, and markets are worried about that, to use the word uncertainty, is it possible that that's a factor here today? It's certainly possible it's a factor because I think we've gone, the pendulum has swung a couple of different times uh, on this. And so in September, we front-loaded a tremendous amount of anxiety about there wasn't going to be a resolution. It was going to be too close to call. It might be unresolved for a long time. And then after uh, you got after the first debate, after the president got his diagnosis of COVID, uh, it seemed like it widened out and people went all the way to the other side and not only decided that a blue wave was more likely, but that it was going to be bullish and basically any election outcome was market friendly. So I right. think in the last week or two, we've been coming off of that. Bottom line is we've had enough time to rethink this thing four different ways and second guess our assumptions a few different times. And if you have a, an event coming in a week and you think there's a 65 percent chance you're right, 35 percent chance that you're wrong in a week is still reason not to take on a tremendous amount of risk ahead of time. So I think that, you know, right now, all we've done is unwind most of October's rally. We're not even back to where we were three weeks ago in the S&P 500. This isn't necessarily some kind of game changing sell off. What it is, is, uh, is a little bit of a reset of attitudes you know, as we get up to the run-up to the election. And you know what, in the end, Kelly, it could end up being exactly what everyone said it was going to be in the summer, which is September and October, they tend to be pretty jumpy before an election, and then it doesn't really change the prospects right. for what comes right. after. Yeah, but it's always feel, it feels different when you're always living does. through it. Um, yep. I hope it's, it's just that and not a more severe you know, COVID-related outcome. Mike, as always, thank you, sir. Right. We really appreciate it. Mike Santoli. For more on the sell-off and how investors should be protecting themselves, I'm joined now by Angela Mwanza. She's Managing Director and Private Wealth Advisor for UBS. And Jason Brady is President and CEO of Thornburg Investment Management. It's good to have you both here. Jason, Mike mentioned something in passing that's super important. We're going to get more to it later on. But listen, this disappointment that SAP just told us about in Europe, warning about COVID's impact on its business, is taking down the whole software sector. Um, it's an important part of the market. So, you know, to what extent does that knock out one of the kind of legs of support of the stool here? I think it's hugely important. And if I'm pointing to one reason for the market disappointment or challenge today, it's really including some of technology, including perhaps Intel uh, last week, but some of the technology sector into a cyclical sector, it, it categorizing as a cyclical sector. So if you think about that, that sort of switch, um, that's, that's going to be really challenging in times when you get kind of a risk-off mood. And certainly a, a lack of leadership from technology is, is relevant as, as we at Thornburg think about, you know, how are we going to position for clients more forward? Yeah, and look, there's Intel down again today, down 15% a week, different part of the sector, obviously, Angela. But we have big tech earnings coming on Thursday. Those, you know, Apple and Amazon and the rest of them are, are a huge part of this support. And I should mention, it's not as if tech is underperforming today. I mean, it's still holding up relatively well. I think Zoom is the best performer in the S&P. It's the industrials, it's the financials, which are weak. And that's more of the kind of, you know, pause the reopening trade. So what would your advice be to investors, Angela? Well, I think it's interesting. What, 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 we're having this trifecta of coronavirus infections, uh, the lack of fiscal stimulus, and then elections. And the one thing we're not really talking about 
despite SAP today, earnings has has actually been pretty pretty decent. Uh, Q2 was good. Q3, um, I mean, 90% of those companies that have already uh, had that have already uh, posted their earnings, uh, and it's about 30% have done so already, have more than beat their expectations. And and you know. Beating expectations at a median of 14.5% is pretty significant compared to the usual 3 to 5%. So I feel that that's something that we're not really seeing in the markets today. For us, in, in how we work with our clients, short-term volatility is an opportunity. Short-term volatility, a day like today, we can do tax loss selling. Uh, we can do some gifting of, of assets that are more depreciated. Uh, and and when, when, when markets spike up again, we can do some more philanthropic giving. So for us, we tend to look more at the intermediate and long term and, and are less impacted by what's happening here. Yeah. And you're, as you said, telling clients to stay invested and be tactical right now. So, Jason, we were talking about, you know, obviously the weakness in tech a moment ago. What would you do with some of the more value oriented parts of the market, the parts that were starting to perk up lately? Are those off the table now? I don't think they're off the table. I think, you know, one of our, our portfolio managers was making the joke of trying to decide between things that are reasonably valued, but the business is challenging and things that are really interesting businesses, but valuations are really challenging, right? And that's the sort of the balance that you need to strike in your portfolio, which is not all one, not all the other. I think the other piece here is, you know, one of our biggest, all of our biggest problems actually as investors, and we talk to clients, their biggest issue is asset allocation. And so what you're also seeing is fixed income markets trade along with uh, the cyclical sectors in, in the context of a balanced portfolio. So pay attention to your fixed income and pay attention, frankly, to the balance of but traditionally, or it's now being called growth and value, uh, but again, is is really being uh, more is more obvious from a sector perspective here. A little bit of everything, maybe to get through uncertain times. We'll leave it there, guys. Jason Brady, Angela Mwanza, good to speak with you both. With the market down 843 points, again, we're sitting right near session lows today. Coming up, we're going to have a whole lot more on the sell-off. Uh, we'll be speaking with former National Economic Director Larry Lindsay about what a big sell-off could mean for the election next week, among many, many other topics. And take a look at the home construction ETF, the ID, ITB, I should say. It's on pace for its third down day in four and its first negative month since March. The move lower coming after disappointing housing numbers. We've got all the details ahead. The exchange is back in a couple. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. Markets are selling off as the U.S. set a grim new high for daily COVID cases. Uh, also in the past hour, we've learned from local reports that German Chancellor Angela Merkel is planning a lockdown light to tackle the COVID pandemic. Uh, U.K. regions such as Nottingham are looking to move to the highest COVID tier alert. Uh, this after Italy imposed fresh lockdown measures over the weekend, and there's concern about similar moves here. The Dow's down 883 points. That's a session low. It's down 3.1 percent. The Nasdaq outperforming today, down 2.4 percent. We'll keep a close eye on it. 
throughout the hour. In the meantime, the race for a COVID vaccine does continue. AstraZeneca is the only contender in the green today. It's up about 1.3%. On reports, its vaccine does trigger a similar immune response in older and younger adults. That's positive news. The rest of the space is lower. BioNTech by 5%. Pfizer down 2 My next guest says the lack of data from these two partner companies, it could be a bad sign for their vaccine candidate and for the field at large. Joining me now is Dr. Vincent Chen. He's the senior small and mid-cap biotech analyst at Bernstein. Uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, tell us what your concerns are about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. So, so Pfizer has spoken repeatedly of having data in October, but we're now getting into the last week of October and we've yet to see data, which has raised some concern over whether this could be a delay relative to investor expectations and also relative to Pfizer's previous commentary. In particular, the concern is that if the vaccine is highly effective, then you're likely to have data read out early. If there's lots of infections in placebo group and basically nobody gets infected in vaccine group, then you can look at the data and declare victory very, very early on. On the other hand, if the efficacy is somewhat more middling, or if the vaccine is actually not efficacious, then you need to let the trial run for much longer to get an answer. Um, so I'd say that if we are indeed seeing a delay in the Pfizer trial, this could suggest that the vaccine's efficacy is a little bit lower than we thought, and the odds of success may, may be a little bit lower as well, to, to dimensionalize the numbers. Going into the trial, many experts would have estimated perhaps maybe, maybe a three-quarters of likelihood of success and potential for 70 to 80% efficacy. We'd estimate that if the mm -hmm. first inference misses, then we're probably looking more like 60, 70, 60 to 70% efficacy, 60 to 70% odds of success. Um, of course, there could be other explanations. It's possible the interim analysis has not yet occurred. And it's also possible that Pfizer indeed actually has the data, but simply waiting to disclose it. But um, if it does turn out the early readout hasn't panned out as well as we'd hoped, this would bode poorly, not just for, for Pfizer's program, but actually cast a bit of a pall over the COVID yeah. vaccine field. Um, you recall that all the vaccines no, have the shown... No, the silence so is, is deafening, as you would say, doctor. Let me just ask you quickly before we move sure. on. Is it possible they're just delaying the news till after the election to avoid getting further caught up in the politics of it? I think that's relatively unlikely. I mean, it's certainly been a topic of debate. It's something that they've gone back and forth on. There's certainly been some degree of pressure, but um, Pfizer has definitely been out there sort of talking to folks who are somewhat more on the cautious side to try to persuade them that an earlier readout makes sense. And Pfizer actually has stated that while they would not seek emergency use authorization until until after the election, they have suggested that as the data becomes available, they would read out the data early um, and sort of reiterated at least a, at least as a week or two ago potential for an October readout. So that's fascinating. What you're saying is basically the silence is deafening at this point and raising some concern. So that's perhaps explains the way stocks are trading until we get more clarity. In the meantime, what about the other leading candidates, AstraZeneca in particular? Um, you know, it's interesting that you're saying that because Pfizer BioNTech was the leading candidate, kind of the prospects there will help the whole group rise or fall. But is it possible that there could emerge another front runner here? Um, well, it, it, certain, it certainly could. Um, however, I would say that if, if Pfizer is indeed struggling, which is a little bit of conjecture at this point, it probably would read across negatively to the others. Um, recall that all the vaccines so far have shown that when you get the vaccine, you make a decent level of antibodies, but none of them yet have shown that antibodies actually translate into protection from COVID-19. If it turns out the Pfizer trial is not, being, not showing as much efficacy as maybe we had hoped, that would say, you know, maybe making antibodies doesn't quite translate that readily to actual protection from COVID-19, which is ultimately what matters and ultimately what would drive approval and what will get us out of this pandemic. Dr. Chen, and, yeah. 
Let yes. me just ask you one one more question on this important point. As you know, as we watch markets, obviously very concerned about all these developments. China does have a vaccine from Sinovac. You know, Brazil has been a huge debate down there as to whether they should uh, allow their population to act as I think the president called it, quote unquote, guinea pigs or not. But China does have a vaccine. What does that tell you about how they came up with it, or or if you know anything about it that would suggest you know they're is it a different kind of approach? Do we just not have enough information? What would you say? It, it, it is a different approach, but I would say that the the vaccines that, well, sort of the Chinese and the Russian vaccines, those are vaccines that have been approved on much, much less data than what the what the FDA require. I, I don't think we, I, I think the, 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 the data we have right now for a number of the, the front runners or more globally is actually exceeds the, the, the breadth of data that we have for some of those approved vaccines. Um, we, we don't yet have data that those vaccines are indeed protective. We only have data that they produce antibodies and some sort of an immune response. But the bar for the bar for use of a vaccine here, I think, would be would be much higher. Fascinating. Vincent Chen, we appreciate your time today. We will be checking back in soon. Thank Dr. You. Vincent Chen is a biotech analyst from Bernstein. Let's get a quick check on the markets. We're down more than 900 points for the first time now, just below that level right now. It's a 3.2% drop for the Dow, a biggest drop we've seen in about two months' time. Now, the S&P and the Nasdaq are relatively better performing, uh, but still the S&P down 92 points. It's down to 33.72, and the Nasdaq's down 2.5%. Let's run through the picture here for you. All 11 sectors are lower in the market. Energy, industrials, financials, and tech are the biggest laggards today. The worst performers in the S&P are all three cruise lines and retailer Hasbro. Hasbro this morning did report better than expected earnings, but sales for its TV and film division fell short. You can see why with nobody uh, going to those events quite so much. All 30 Dow members are also lower today. Amex, Salesforce, Boeing, and Honeywell are the big laggards there. By the way, Royal Caribbean, we're talking about a 12% drop in some of the cruise line stocks today. Amex and Salesforce down 5%. And there are your NASDAQ worst performers. Marriott, one of them down 7%. Ulta's down 8%. Workday hit hard after the SAP miss. Zoom Video, the best performer, up nearly 1%, a classic stay-at-home trade. Meantime, shares of SAP are plummeting after the software company slashed revenue guidance on COVID-19 concerns. This has the entire software market, and because of that, the entire stock market concerned. SAP shares are now sinking almost 24%. Josh Lipton has more for us. Josh? So, Kelly, SAP reported, and investors, as you noted, they ran for cover. The German software maker announcing Q3 results and the stock tanked. So what happened here? I caught up with JMP's Patrick Wallravens. He says SAP assumed the pandemic would ease, big companies would feel more confident and start spending and investing again. Instead, new lockdowns in Europe in response to COVID-19 infections now creating more uncertainty for these companies. And that means these corporate customers are tightening their budgets and delaying investments. Bottom line, SAP cutting its outlook on earnings and revenue for the year. So what's the read-through for other software names? Well, we know some cloud software players are clearly benefiting as more people now work from home and want to do so securely. Investors have piled into names like Zoom and DocuSign. Walravens bets others will too in the quarters ahead. When the pandemic subsides, economies regain their footing and companies start spending confidently again, that will give a further boost, he argues, to names like Salesforce, ServiceNow, and yes, even SAP. Investors, though, clearly not thinking about that right now. SAP on track here for its worst day ever. Kelly, back to you. 
All right, Josh, thank you very much. Josh Lipton with the latest for us. Let's turn to Sue Herrera now for our CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. NASA's Airborne Sophia Telescope has discovered water on the sunlit side of the moon. It had previously been detected on the side that is in permanent shadow. NASA doesn't know yet if the water is accessible to humans, but if it is, it could eventually help humans establish a long-term presence on the moon. Germany's Angela Merkel is reportedly planning what's being called a lockdown light to fight an increase in COVID cases. It would close bars and restaurants, but keep most schools and stores open with restrictions. Minnesota's Republican candidate for the Senate has been rushed into emergency surgery for a severe internal hernia. Jason Lewis went to an ER this morning for abdominal pain. The former conservative talk radio host is the underdog in his race against the incumbent Democrat Tina Smith. And actress Felicity Huffman has completed all of the elements of her college admission sentence, including two weeks of jail time, 240 hours of community service, and supervised release. You are up to date, Kel. Back to you. All right, Sue, thank you very much. Sue Herrera. Up next with markets selling off the Dow down about 900 points at this hour, we're going to get a check on the biggest laggards in the market today from travel to home. Surprisingly, the home builders are weak to the gaming stocks and whether there's more pain ahead for these sectors as COVID cases rise. Stay with us. Dow's down 915 here on The Exchange. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Welcome back. It's a big down day on Wall Street, and we continue to slide to session lows uh, with each passing half hour. The Dow's down 950 points right now, and we have full team coverage of the sell-off. Sima Modi is back at headquarters looking at the impact on travel stocks. Diana Olick is looking at how this morning's housing data is meanwhile hurting the home builders, one of the strongest parts of the market. Contessa Brewer watching the casinos and gaming stocks, and Phil LeBeau is tracking the airlines for us. Sima, let's start with you. Kelly, five days until the CDC no-sale order is set to expire and COVID cases are on the rise in the U.S. And these lockdown measures are being reintroduced in parts of Europe where there are currently active sailing. So the protocols from testing all crew and passengers will become even more critical. And there are concerns about the ability for these ships to remain at sea. That's why you're seeing the cruise stocks trade lower by as much as 12 percent. These are the three biggest laggards on the S&P 500 at this hour. Now, in Europe, other metrics like hotel occupancy show that the region is already in a post-summer decline. 
But new lockdowns have pushed levels down a bit further over the past few weeks, meaning travelers are rethinking those vacation plans as, con as cases continue to rise, whereas in the U.S., Occupancy has averaged at around 50 percent in recent weeks. The hotel operator set to uh, report earnings in the next week, but you are seeing shares of Marriott, Hilton and Hyatt trade lower by as much as 6 percent here. Kelly, back to you. It, it seems, since you're here, I want to ask you about what's been happening overseas as well. I mean, Germany's DAX was down, I think, almost 4 percent today. It was twice as bad as the declines that we saw in, in uh, the UK and elsewhere. And yes, we just got some reports from the local news there that they might be doing lockdown light. So perhaps that explains why. But um, is it because of what has come from Italy and some of these other countries that those markets, because that, that certainly sent us lower uh, into their market close today? Yeah, I think in midsummer there was this widespread view amongst uh, European economists that they've been able that they were able to control uh, the COVID case count. But the second wave that we are seeing emerge in certain countries like Spain, Germany, and Italy that has uh, brought forth these new concerns about whether these nations do have it in control and how long it will take to get it under control. And that's why you're seeing more of these European economists now bring down their projections for growth. Uh, obviously, questions now turning to the ECB as well as to what level of central bank policy will be used here as well. But I think that's what you're starting to see, this level of recognition uh, across these European markets and why they're trading lower. Yeah, Germany's the juggernaut. It's down 5% in a week now. All right, Seema, thank you very much. Seema Modi. Let's turn to the home builders because this had been the bright spot in the market, but the XHB is down 4% after the housing data this morning. Again, this was one of the sectors helping to power the recovery. Diana Olick is here with the numbers for us. Diana? Yeah, Kelly, the stocks of the big builders are falling along with the broader markets. Despite some upbeat news for the sector today, the home builder ETF, that's ITB, down over 4% as well. Breaking out a few names like Pulte, DR Horton, and luxury builder Toll Brothers, all lowered despite an upgrade this morning from Raymond James. Analysts there said their confidence is growing in the continuing strength and sustainability of new home demand amid the pandemic recovery. Now, others that have been on a tear year to date, like Lennar and Taylor Morrison, also taking a hit today, all the builder stocks are up pretty dramatically year to date thanks to that unexpected demand from the new stay at home and work from anywhere culture of the pandemic. We did get the September read on new home sales this morning, and it was slightly lower than expected, but still up quite significantly from a year ago. One plus for the sector today, bond yields falling, which correspond with mortgage rates. But rates have been low for so long, it may just not be enough to bring the builders back into the green today, Kelly. Yeah, Diana, you answered my questions before I could even ask. I was exactly going to say, could lower rates, you know, kind of take the sting out here of what looks like a pause after a strong run? Is anyone saying it could be more than that? Because I, I do remember that Pulte number last week. You know, their fourth quarter uh, delivery number was a little shy. They were down 5% when we had that strong existing home sales report. You know, is there, is there something more uh, than just kind of a, a pause going on here? Well, you have to remember there is some seasonality, even though there's no seasonality this year, right, because of COVID. This is a seasonal slower time for the home builders. Now, we do see still incredibly strong demand. The question is supply. You know, the sales that we saw in the numbers this morning were all on the higher end of the market, not at that entry level below the $300,000 mark. And that's because the builders aren't able to build those homes because of higher costs for land, labor, rising material costs. So there are these headwinds to the home builders right now that could cause sales to pull back a little but it's not so much on the demand side, it's really on that supply side.
Right, which itself would be a great sign, uh, but we have so much else to worry about. Diana, thank you. We appreciate it. Diana Olick on the housing market. Casinos are under pressure, no surprise, because they're facing the threat of another round of shutdowns, perhaps. Contessa Brewer is here with more with some of the big names falling 7%. Contessa? Oh, just a punch to the gut here and a wild ride for casino and gaming stocks. Getting slammed today on these COVID fears. You're right to point out those rising infection rates also raise the risk of being closed back down or of players simply refusing to go to the casino to gamble if coronavirus worries are top of mind. But for those companies betting on sports gambling, the threat of disrupting pro sports again would certainly mean a hit to their bottom lines as well. Leading the pack lower today, you've got Caesars down seven and a third, Wynn Resorts, MGM down more than six, DraftKings down more than seven on pace for its worst month ever, uh, Penn National Gaming down 5%. There may be some profit taking here too. After all, let's take a look at some of these charts year to date. DraftKings up year to date 278%, and the enthusiasm is just driving this pure play sports gambling stock. And that enthusiasm has also driven Penn shares to meteoric growth as well on its partnership with Barstool Sports. It's up about 137 points, uh, 134 points year to date, more than 300% in the last six months alone. And then you've got Caesars just refusing to be left out. It's closing its deal with Eldorado this summer. It announced a partnership with ESPN and it's making a bid for William Hill up 193% in the last six months. Negative though, still year to date. And by the way, Kelly, elections matter too. There are initiatives on the ballot in multiple states over liberalizing gaming regulations. And this is one of the things these gaming companies are really counting on. That's a great point. And Contessa, in some ways, I actually think sports, maybe pro sports in particular, could be the tell for this whole market. Because when the NBA shut down on March 11th, the day after was one of the worst days we saw this spring. Because everybody realized if there's no NBA season, everything's off the table. You know, if the NFL, and I'm not talking about rescheduling games, if the NFL can keep going, if Big Ten can keep going, I mean, obviously important for these companies, but I think that's, the, frankly, the place to watch for whether we're all going back to shutdown land again. And especially when there's just so much pent up demand for any kind of entertainment, it's one of the things these regional casinos have benefited from is that they haven't had to compete with live sports. You can't go out and watch Friday night football at your kid's high school because it's just not happening. But you can go to the casino and gamble even if occupancy rates and are, are much lower than what they are and it varies from district to district. But you're right to point it out. If, if you've got games being canceled, it's an indication that it's just not going the way we want. Yeah, Friday Night Slots has a little different ring to it than Friday Night Lights. Contessa, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. Contessa Brewer for us on the casinos. Last but not least, let's take a look at the airlines, which are down as much as 6% today. Remember, just last week, the TSA screened over a million passengers on a single day for the first time since March. Phil Abo is here with more, Phil, on traveler prospects if COVID continues to spread like this and uh, the prospect of more aid, too. Well, there, there could be more aid that they might seek down the road, not in the foreseeable future. And by that, I mean not by, by the end of the year. They all have enough liquidity for the time being. But when you take a look at these airline stocks, and you said they were down anywhere between 6 and 8%, do not misconstrue them selling off with the fact that you see passenger levels starting to tick a little bit higher. You mentioned that the TSA screened more than a million passengers in a day for the first time 
last week. It was a week ago yesterday. Well, yesterday it dropped back below 1 million. It was down about 61% uh, yesterday compared to where it was a year ago. So it's bouncing around somewhere between down 60 and down 70%, depending on the day. One stock to keep an eye on, JetBlue. Why are we showing you JetBlue? This is the last of the major airlines, the six major airlines that will be reporting its uh, third quarter results. Those will come out tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon on the closing bell. You do not want to miss this exclusive. We'll be talking with Robin Hayes, CEO of JetBlue. We'll talk to him about where the company is, not only for the third quarter, but really this question, Kelly, that I get from a lot of people, which is, are we going to see passenger levels continue to grow going into the holiday season, especially if there is an increase in the number of COVID-19 cases around the country. A lot of people are looking at that and saying, you know what, I think they plateau if those cases continue to rise. Yeah, Phil, it's interesting because we saw that big study just the other day that said there hasn't really been a lot of documented spread of COVID on an airplane, which is shocking. But again, I guess if they're bringing no, in fresh air every shocking, six minutes Kelly. or whatever the case I don't think may it's, be. Kelly, yeah. I don't think that's shocking. I think when you look at the steps that have been put in place on all aircraft around the world from face masks to spraying the airplanes to the documentation they've shown that wiping these planes down it does kill the virus the the amount of spread on a plane it your your chances of uh, catching have been reduced dramatically and i know there are people watching this who will say ah you're nuts i'm never getting on a plane you can't change those minds all the airlines and the aircraft makers can do is to say here's the science and, and again, to show us maybe a path forward, even as this is spreading, if you do the right mitigation. Phil, thank you, sir. As always, you bet. Phil LeBeau on the airlines for us today. Tough session. Up next, with eight days until the election, markets are selling off and COVID cases are rising. Former National Economic Council Director Larry Lindsay joins me to discuss. The exchange will be back in two. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Exchange. As we watch stocks just off their session lows, we're down 900 points right now. The low is 955. It's a better than 3% drop for the Dow. The S&P down 93. The Nasdaq down 300 points, but it's the outperformer today. And all of this is coming just about a week before the election and because of the rise in COVID cases, which is raising some doubts about the strength of the economic recovery. Joining me now is Larry Lindsay. He's CEO of the Lindsay Group. He's former director of the National Economic Council under President George W. Bush. You've got an op-ed in the journal today, Larry, and I, I really appreciate you joining me because, listen, you know, as the nexus between the election and the economy, there's no one better to talk to right now. How are today's developments, you think, going to pan out in next week's outcome? How significant are they? Well, first of all, I think the economy is doing very well. Um, I agree completely with uh, Diane Olick about uh, housing. Uh, any problem we have is on the supply side, not on the demand side. In fact, that's generally true about the whole economy. Um, if states were open, we would be having a, uh, we'd be in, in new territory. We'd be at a record high in terms of GDP. And, uh, you know, blue states have twice the insured unemployment rate as red states. And I think that is an indication that we have a supply constrained uh, issue here as far as reopening in terms of a shortage of labor. Um, and so I'm not worried about the demand side of the economy. 
So Larry, one interesting point about this is that, you know, even if that's the case, in other words, even if there's a lot of pent up demand that's ready to go, now we have COVID spreading again. And I can tell you just anecdotally, there are people who were thinking, you know what, maybe I'm not, I've heard people all weekend saying, this might be the last weekend that I'm out. This might be the last weekend I go to restaurants. This might, you know, the weather's turning, but there's also a sense that it's not going to be safe anymore. So, you know, what happens if we get this effect where, just as we're kind of getting this economic recovery, the, you know, we're, we're going back to kind of shut down light. Again, even if it's by choice, how much of a drag that this could potentially be a big drag, right? Um, it, it could be. Um, our view, uh, we've had a long-term view on this, uh, and that doesn't change, maybe because I'm an old guy and, but, um, and stubborn. Most pandemics end with an attenuation of the virus or better treatment. And right now, I think we're seeing both. Yes, cases are rising, but the death rate and the admission to the ICU rate continue to drop. So the virus is having less of an effect, both because the virus is mutating and because we're taking better care of uh, the people who who do get it. Um, And I think that trend is going to continue. I am not a believer in a magic wand. And oh, by the way, the what we're seeing now in Europe, which went through an extreme lockdown, to me is proof that no lockdowns are not the answer, period. So I think we have to rely on, on common sense, social distancing. Whenever I'm in a place that's indoors with a lot of strange people, I wear a mask. Um, but I also think that, uh, you know, treatments are better and... Um, And that's a good thing. And that's how it's going to go away. So let me ask you, as we've all been debating today, the factors in the sell off, you know, COVID cases being one of them, but also people are saying one reason could be that the election outcome looks pretty tight now. And maybe it's because of, uh, you know, a little bit of a Trump increase after the last debate. But, you know, you've been laser focused on this question of how this all might play out if it's very, very close on election night. what do you think the odds are that we might not know for several days or maybe even weeks time? And what would that mean for the market? Yes. Well, I think the odds are are, are good. Uh, and right now, I think they're rising for just the reasons that, uh, that you mentioned. Um, we are following all the data very closely, including the uh, ABEV votes uh, that are coming in. And uh, we modeled it and successfully uh, last time. And our clients made money on it, so we're trying the same thing this time. Uh, right now, I would say that um, uh, the needle has to move about one and a half points in Trump's direction for him to win. That is, um, uh, that's doable, uh, but certainly he's the guy who would come from behind. But even if he gets close to that number, you're probably going to have a contested election. And um, between recent trends we've seen in ABEV uh, and the debate performance and the stuff that's unknown about the polling, um, you know, let's say it's doable. I think there's probably a a 50 or 60 percent chance that we will not know the winner on election night. A 60 percent chance. And we have to go, Larry. But what does that mean for investors then? We just have to wait and see. (laughs) I think we're going to have one heck of a mess. Um, We've already got a number of groups on the left in particular uh, that have already organized protests, 
ready to go. They have playbooks out there on it. Um, and so I think we're going to see not only a battle in the courts, but maybe a battle in the streets. And let's face it, uh, for the whole world, it's uh, not a good idea to have a lot of uncertainty about who the president of the United States is going to be. Yeah. Yep. The uncertainty we talk so much about, but this would be uncertainty in a very big way. Larry, thank you. Larry Lindsay with the Lindsay Always Group on the markets, on. the economy and the election today. Up next, we have the markets down more than 900 points at this hour. We're going to take a closer look at today's sell-off. And at the, oh, I'm sorry, we're down 860 now. We're also going to look at the entertainment names in particular getting hit today. And check on some of the big tech names right now. The FANG stocks are lower. That includes Alphabet and Facebook. The biggest laggards down more than 3%. In Alphabet's case, almost 4% as big earnings loom this week. We're back in a couple. Welcome back. Shares of entertainment companies, including Cinemark, Disney, Six Flags, and Live Nation are all getting slammed today. Cinemark's down 9%. This on fears of more COVID lockdowns as cases rise, or just the simple fact more people will stay at home. Julia Borson is here now with that story. Julia? Kelly, that's right. With COVID cases rising, companies that are reliant on gathering large groups of people they're seeing their stocks plummet today. Cinemark shares, as you mentioned, down over 9% on a downgrade by Barrington Research, noting a challenging environment and an uncertain recovery. Other theater chains also moving lower. AMC down about 8.5%. IMAX down over 2.5%. Theme parks also suffering today. SeaWorld shares down about 6%. Six Flags and Cedar Fair, both of those companies, their stock down nearly 5%. And Disney shares down nearly 4%. This comes as Disney announces it's planning to start reopening shops and dining at its California Adventure Park adjacent to Disneyland with no signs of when Disney can open those Anaheim theme parks. Comcast, which also owns parks, CNBC's parent company, that stock also down about 3%. We're also seeing the concert business facing challenges with shares of concert giant Live Nation down nearly 6%. Kelly? Yep, a rough session as they worry about what's coming. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. That does it for The Exchange today. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And stick around for Power Lunch. We're going to keep monitoring the sell-off with the Dow down about 900 points. We're going to look at the stocks wealthy investors are snapping up ahead of the election. I'll join Tyler Matheson after this quick break. We're down 846. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.